Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law, uh, the great mystery uh, that the Son of God, the Lord of life, will be put to death. For not his sins, for he had none, but for us sinners, for rebels, wicked, and sinful men and women like ourselves. O Lord, we stand in awe and amazement of your great salvation, salvation that even uh, angels long to look and understand. Father, we who deserve none of it have richly, abundantly experienced all of it fully. Father, thank you for this great salvation, and thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word that reveals all of this to us and gives us understanding of our world. As we open your book now, we pray that you would cause your word to be, to be understood by each hearer, that we would understand uh, your instructions, your truths as written to Israel, but its implications, its significance for us today. God, we pray that you would be glorified through the proclamation of your word. We once again ask that your word would go forth and, and uh, accomplish that which you purpose to do. May it not return void. May you be faithful to your promises and your, pro- your, your, your word. I ask that you Lord, fill us now and so that give us ears to hear, hearts to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if you have your Bibles, please turn them to the book of Numbers today. Numbers uh, chapter 18. Numbers 18 is where we'll be this morning. Numbers 18, I've entitled the, the sermon, The Gifts of God, The Gifts of God. <clears throat> well, again, uh, I know uh, I'd like to warmly wish all of you uh, moms among us uh, a happy Mother's Day. Uh, we are grateful for each of you moms in our congregation, especially if you, you know, our, our own moms, but we're thankful for all our moms uh, in, in, in our body because the Lord uses each of you uh, in a very uh, powerful, uh, a very um, significant uh, and impactful way in each of our lives to show us the love of God. Uh, and we appreciate you for the, for the love that you show towards us. And on this day, on Mother's Day, across our nation, we make much of, of our mothers. At least we ought to make much of our mothers. <laughs> uh, we're going to take you out to dinner or, or give you cards and give you flowers or, uh, or just leave you alone uh, for a couple hours. Uh, uh, we will do that because we want to make much of our mothers. Uh, we want to do that which honors them. And we do so because of the importance and how much they've impacted our lives. You notice significantly in our nation we have Mother's Day and Father's Day, but you notice we we don't have Brother-in-Law's Day, right? Or we don't have Second Cousin Once Removed Day. You know, we don't have those kind of days. Uh, I'm sure that you have cousins, Second second Cousins Once Removed, that are significant in your life, and and brother-in-laws, of course, that are very significant. But uh, the matter of fact is that they're not as important 
at least in our lives, at least in comparison to our immediate family members like our moms, our dads, or even our children. And so we make much of moms on this day because you are important and you have impacted our lives. When we make much of someone, it reflects uh, their significance in our lives. Their significance in our lives. And in our 18th chapter of Numbers, that the Lord makes much of the Levites and priests indicates to us the significance of the priests in the life of the nation Israel. And this is particularly powerful because it follows after a great outpouring of God's wrath. And there's a great fear among the nation of Israel. And yet God responds to their fear, to their fear of death, to the fear of God's wrath with these words, these instructions about and to, of all people, the, the priests and the Levites. Israel had, and if you recall, as just a bit of a review, had thought lightly of rebelling against the Lord. They rebelled against him and that they grumbled all throughout and they're wandering in the wilderness, complaining along the way, we have no food, we have no water, we have no meat, uh, oh, we're all going to die. They had thought lightly rebelling against God when they got to the, right to the edge of the promised land and the Lord said, go in and take the land. And they said, no, no, we're not. We're going to all die if we go in there. We're afraid of dying. And they had thought lightly of rebelling against the Lord by actually rising up and against the Lord's chosen leaders, Moses and Aaron. They had even dared to approach God's tabernacle, thinking that hey, just anyone, anyone can approach God's uh, God's house, God's tent. Anyone could just come up and, and serve as a priest to God. You don't have to be Aaron or one of his sons. But the nearly 15,000 dead lying among them was evidence that they were completely wrong. God's holy wrath had, had struck through the congregation of Israel with a plague that was only checked by the intercession of Aaron and Moses. And as if that was not enough, the Lord affirmed his choice of Moses, by, of Aaron, <clears throat> by the miracle of the rod of Aaron that we looked at last uh, time. Grow that rod that was overnight grew and that was otherwise dead grew and bare flowers and fruit, unlike the other 12 rods. And at the end of number 17, which we looked at last time, in the last two verses, we find the nation of Israel in great fear, great dread of God's wrath. God's judgment. They, they cry out to Moses. If you look at uh, Numbers 17, just the last uh, two verses there, you see how they respond. They, they're crying out, the sons of Israel, behold, we perish. We are dying. We're all dying. Everyone who comes near, who comes near the, to the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Are we to perish completely? The nation had become quite aware of their own sinfulness and God's holiness. They recognized that they deserved to perish. And so they cried out to God's servant Moses, asking, if the, is there any hope? Are we just all going to die? Is there any hope of salvation? God answers their question in chapters 18 and 19 that we look at today. Chapters 18 and 19 are, are instructions that God now gives to the priests and the Levites. It's a strange answer to the question, are we going to die completely? Well, let me tell you about some instructions for, for the Levites and priests. It's, it's kind of a little bit unexpected. 
But the fact that God answers their question, whether they're going to die completely with his answer about these instructions regarding the, the Levites and the priests of Israel is an indication to what, is, to what ma- should matter to the nation of Israel or what is important for the nation of Israel. Through the instructions given to these priests and Levites, Israel is reminded that their hope is in the gifts of God, in what God has provided for them. And primarily among them that God has provided has been are these priests and Levites, these spiritual leaders who would intercede on their behalf. Now, it's always hard to study through numbers if you're kind of new with us, you're here the first time, you're like, wow, we're in numbers? I've never, I don't know how to read that book. It's always challenging to read through and study the Old Testament books, especially Old Testament law passages like today. Um, Because we are not Israel, these laws are not a direct instructions to us. We're not Israelites, we're we're the church of God, most of us here are Gentiles. Um, But moreover, the law of God has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So there is no necessity for us, especially to, uh, or obligation for us to, to continue to try to fulfill any of these ceremonial or sacrificial uh, types of law in, uh, in, in God's word. But yet in them still, we, in, these, in studying these laws and these ceremonies, we strive to understand what they point to, what their the significance uh, not only for Israel in those days and future generations of Israel uh, that came to follow. And then as we understand that, we'll try to understand what is its significance for us today. And so we always got to take an, uh, understand what does it mean for uh, the people then, what it was trying to convey, and then hopefully we'll bring it to the present. Well, as we will learn, as we, I really appreciate the, the song that we just saw. The, there's a line in there uh, that just reminded how Jesus is the fulfillment of law. See, the sacrificial laws of Israel uh, in the Old Testament served to point the people of God to our need for the ultimate Savior, for the ultimate Christ and the Messiah, Jesus, who is the gift of God, who is our ultimate high priest, who died for us and rose from the grave so that we might live. And we're, today we're going to look for our outline. We're going to look at this, this instruction. It, it comes out to four, uh, it's really in sets of instructions, four, four instructions. I was going to write uh, four Levitical instructions, but that didn't sound too inciting. So I said four gifts of God, okay? Four gifts of God, but think of it as uh, instructions for the, it's, they're really instructions for the Levites. But four gifts of God that magnify the prov- God's provision, his provision to save Israel from his wrath. And hopefully we're going to bring that forward to us to, as, they, as it magnifies God's provision to save Israel from his wrath, that we're going to see how it magnifies God's provision to save us, to save the church, save people today from God's wrath. All right, so let's take a look. We're going to go through the story. It's a long chapter, 32 verses or so. And uh, uh, we're going to read all of it. You know, as we go along, and so I won't have time to go through into all the details, but we'll, hopefully we'll get a good just flow of this passage. Let's look at the, this, uh, these four gifts of God then. Uh, the four gifts of God, and the first gift of God that we're going to look at is in verses 1 to 7, that God gives Levites, and God giving of the Levites magnifies God's provision to save Israel from his wrath. We'll read verses 1 to 7 of chapter 18. So the Lord said to Aaron, 
you and your sons and your father's household with you shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear the guilt in connection with your priesthood. But bring with you also your brothers, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you, while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. And they shall thus attend to your obligation and the obligation of all the tent. But they shall not come near to the furnishings of the sanctuary and the altar, or both they and you will die. They shall be joined with you and attend to the obligations of the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent. But an outsider may not come near you, so you shall attend to the obligations of the sanctuary and the obligations of the altar, so there will no longer be wrath on the sons of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken your fellow Levites from among the sons of Israel. They are a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord, to perform the service for the tent of meeting. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil, and you are to perform service. I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. You'll notice in, the, in this chapter that each section that we're going to uh, point out is marked off by the phrase, the Lord said, or the Lord spoke. Uh, <clears throat> God's word here is a, is a direct answer to the people's question. It says, so the Lord said to Aaron. So, the, so it's like, as a result, or then the Lord said. It's, it's, it's implied that this follows after the question that's, at, that's asked at the very end, are we to perish completely? Well, this is God's answer. The Lord said to Aaron. And the answer to their question, are we to perish completely, is no. Because God gives the Levites to bear the guilt of the people. Note significantly, though, that the Lord here speaks directly to Aaron, not to Moses. Normally we see in the Old Testament, we see God speaking when he speaks, he speaks to Moses. Sometimes he speaks to Moses and to Aaron together. But seldom we see, do we see him speaking to directly to Aaron. Uh, in fact, it's only, there's only two other times in, all the, in the Old Testament that he speaks solely to Aaron. It's just kind of a sign that there's something significant. He's, he's, he's elevating um, Aaron in, in, in front of the congregation. As further affirmation of Aaron's role as chief priest, God speaks directly to him. The instruction begins with the charge of a, of a great responsibility for Aaron. As he speaks there, he, he tells him this great response. He tells him, and he emphasizes it by the, the phrase that's repeated, you shall bear the guilt. You shall bear the guilt. The word for guilt is translated elsewhere as iniquity or, or even the punishment for iniquity. It's a, really a synonym for sin. You shall bear the sin. Basically, you're gonna, these, Aaron, you're going to bear the sin of the nation, of the people. Are they going to destroy completely? Yes, they deserve to be destroyed completely, but they're not going to be because Aaron is going to bear the guilt and the sin of the nation, Aaron and his sons. Aaron and his sons, that is the, the priests, as well, as well as his father's household that's mentioned here, are that is the Levites, are to bear the guilt, the sins, the punishment for sins, for any violations against the priesthood or the sanctuary. The key word in this section is, as we'll see, we kind of read, is this word obligation. Aaron has an obligation. He's given a charge. 
the priests and Levites are to carefully keep this obligation. It's something that they have to do. They've been given to do. And so they need to carefully do it. And their, their obligation was, the, for the Levites, the care, their obligation was to carefully keep and protect the tabernacle from any unauthorized persons that would, act, that would draw near in verse 4. And that while, that's, while that was the Levite's obligation, the priest's obligation, according to verse 5, was to carefully keep and carry out the services of the altar and the sanctuary. The sanctuary being, is another word that could be translated as the holy place. That's inside the, uh, in the, the tent within the bigger tent of meeting. And so when the Levites and the priests fulfill their obligation, their respective obligations, they work together in carrying out the, uh, the sacrificial uh, ser- services of Israel. The result is at the end of verse 5, this is what happens. At the end of verse 5, so that there will no longer be wrath on the sons of Israel. This is a direct answer to their question. Will we, are we going to die completely? Are we going to perish completely? No. Because Aaron, his sons, and his family, father's household, the Levites, are going to have, have an obligation, whereas they will bear the guilt of the nation. And as they fulfill their service on behalf of you, people, that therefore you will be delivered you will, from God's wrath. In verse 6 to 7, God emphasizes that these are his gifts. He says to Aaron, I've given the Levites, they are a gift to you. In verse 7, he says, I've given the priesthood as it bestowed service to you, as a gift, service of, gift of service to you. This, these, uh, these roles that the Levites have and the priesthood that Aaron has are, are gifts from God. The gifts and even our ministries that God gives us are a gift. He doesn't need to use us, but we really think about it. When the ministries of the areas of service that we give us are, are gifts from God, that we, would, that we can serve the Lord. We can participate in, in his work, in his ministry. There's a warning throughout here that, anyone else, that these are given as a gift because anyone else who approaches the sanctuary, anyone else who approaches the, the tent of meeting will die. This emphasis, the Lord, they, they must die, they must die. He's going to see repeated a couple of times in this section. Although Israel deserved per- to perish for the rebellion, God in his wisdom and mercy had already given to Israel the very provision that they needed for their salvation, the Levites and priests. These Levites and priests would have the obligation to bear the guilt of Israel by offering sacrifices on their behalf. They were representatives of the nation every time they went before the Lord to bring their, the, the people's sacrifices and to offer sacrifices, especially on the Day of Atonement. They would also have responsibility for bearing the punishment of any violations of this law. One commentator calls these, uh, these priests and Levites the spiritual lightning conductors. You know, lightning conductors are those that, the kind of sticks you can put somewhere and, or on top of a roof. And it will, usually a metal, and it will draw lightning to it. You know, it will, instead of hitting you, it will hit that uh, lightning conductor. And so these were, these priests and Levites were, would become responsible for the people. They themselves would experience God's wrath whenever, when anyone violated uh, God's laws. They would be the ones who would represent, uh, represent and bring sacrifices for the sins of Israel. And if they don't do it in the right way, they would die. 
And for the wilderness generation, as well as future generations of Israel, salvation was theirs through faith then in God's provision. In God's provision of these priests and Levites who, uh, who would offer sacrifices on their behalf. And, and it was, though Israel sacrificed themselves in and of themselves, would not save them, it is through faith in that, in that provision, in those sacrifices, that would save them from God's wrath. So God gives the Levites. That's his first thing. And as it reminds Israel or answers Israel's question of how they can be delivered from God's wrath. But God gives a second gift, if you will, or gives a second instruction, further instruction to emphasize the role of the priests and Levites. And that is he gives instructions about offerings, but God gives, in the second point, gives his offerings. God gives his offerings in verses 8 to 19. And this is a longer section, so we'll read it <clears throat> and try to just kind of, uh, hopefully, just, just try to listen to what, what is the repeated phrases. I think what's easy in this chapter is that as you listen to each section, you'll hear a repeated word, very quite common, and hopefully you'll hear what I, what I observed. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, now behold, I myself have given you charge of my offerings. Even all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, I have given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual allotment. This shall be yours from the most holy gifts reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, even every grain offering and every sin offering and every guilt offering which they shall render to me shall be most holy for you and for your sons. As the most holy gifts, you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. This also is yours. The offering of their guilt, even all the wave offerings of the sons of Israel, I have given them to you and to your sons and daughters with you as perpetual allotment. Every one of your household who is clean may eat it. All the best of the fresh oil and all the best of the fresh wine and of the grain, the first fruits of those which they give, they give to the Lord, I give them to you. The first ripe fruits of all that is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Every one of your household who is clean may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Every first issue of the womb of all flesh, whether man or animal, which they offer to the Lord shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. As to the redemption price from a month old, you shall redeem them by your valuation, five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty geras. But the firstborn of an ox, or the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, and shall offer up their fat and smoke as an offering by fire, for a soothing aroma to the Lord. Their meat shall be yours. It shall be yours like the breast of a wave offering, and like the right thigh. All the offerings of the holy gifts which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as a perpetual allotment, it is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and your descendants with you. As further affirmation of the importance of the Levites, God provides for their sustenance. He doesn't say, well, you need to get a job on the side, and this is what you need to do when you're on the weekends or in the evenings when you have time. He wants them to focus their full time on this work, and so he provides for their, their, their sustenance, their provision, through the sacrificial offerings of Israel. And hopefully you heard it, but the key word throughout this, this section is the word offering. And while there are various offerings that Israel was called to do, called to make, we go back to Leviticus 1-7 to with regards to that, 
But the Lord calls them. You notice what he calls them? He calls these offerings, I have given you charge of my offerings. These offerings that the people of Israel give, it's not their offerings. It is in the sense that they give it. But it's my offering, says the Lord, because they belong to him. They belong to him. They're given to him. They belong to him. And he, therefore, since these offerings belong to him, he distributes it as he wills. He gives the offerings to Aaron and his sons, the priests. Verse 19 says, All the offerings of the holy gifts which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as perpetual allotment. As long as there would be priests in Israel, God allots them provisions through the sacrifices offered to the Lord. Whether meat or grain or oil or fruits or wine, if those are the types, the form of the sacrifice of the offerings, then that is going to be the form of the sacrifice of that. That's going to be given to the, for the priests for their livelihood. Also among the offerings, oftentimes we're given the firstborn, uh, the firstborn men of every, uh, man of every family, as well as firstborn of animals belong to the Lord because of the Passover. Remember what happened in the Passover. And so, but God allowed for that because uh, instead of of killing them, allowed there to be a redemption price to be paid, um, uh, five shekels. And this money then would go to the priests for them to use as well. See, as long as there were faithful worshipers of the Lord who observed his offering laws, the priesthood would be provided for through God's offerings. For future future generations of Israel, knowing that the Lord gives his offerings to the priests would remind them of the importance of the priesthood. Here they are, they're they're coming, they're bringing sacrifice to the Lord, they're bringing their offerings to the Lord, and they're probably like, oh, it's going to be offering sacrifice, but they would, even as they're giving it to the Lord, they would observe how oftentimes a portion, uh, sometimes a leg, sometimes a breast would be kept, and that meat would be given and eaten by the priests. Sometimes some, the grains would be set aside for the families of these priests and, and the oils and, and, the, what, and the other produce that they would bring. And they remind Israel of the importance because as they bring their offerings, it reminds them of how important the ministry of the priesthood and the Levites are. To neglect the sacrificial offerings was to hold back, really, God's offerings, was to reflect that we, they, they did not consider important the role of the priests and Levites. And it would not just hurt the priests, but it eventually it would hurt the people themselves because they were being disobedient. For without priests, there would be no sacrifices offered for their sins. And they would perish completely without them. Now in our generation, we, we don't have priests. We don't need priests. Because they have Jesus Christ, our great high priest. But we do have People who function in spiritual roles. We have pastor, teachers, elders. We have missionaries we, that churches support. And in a very similar way, the Lord continues to provide for his ministers through the offerings of God's people. We just talked, prayed about it and received some of it. Galatians 6.6 6 says, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Why, why is that? Why doesn't God just say, Hey, well, you should all be tent makers like Paul was. Paul had a, but Paul did that for initially. But God wants people to understand that the labor is worthy of his wages. That the one who, who serves you God's word, if that is important to you, if that's valuable to you, that, then you would share with what the Lord gives you with those who teach you God's word. In your 
your offerings here, even as we talk about it, talk about it. It's so weird that, you know, you probably, by the way, if those of you who say that, hey, you never talk about money or giving at church. Well, here I'm talking about money giving, okay? Or we talk about offering. Your offerings, when you give them to the Lord, give them to the church here, it goes to provide primarily in the bulk, in the, in the bulk of it, for the pastors and staff and, and missionaries that we support. And, and you may, sometimes we look at it in those numbers, whenever we see that pie chart I recorded, we say, wow, sometimes we're tempted to think, why is so much money being given to the pastoral staff and the, and the missionaries or, or this and that? Why More money should be given to, uh, I don't know, coffee ministry or donut ministry. You know, that's what we think. But no, this is God's plan. That when God has Israel bring their offerings, it was sold that it would support the priests and Levites. And so in the church, the similar way, when you bring your offerings, it is to support the, the pastors and the staff, the, the administrative staff, as, as well as the missionaries that we support primarily, among other things. Well, that's a second instruction. God gives his offerings. We see God gives his offerings. God gives the Levites. God gives his offerings to the, the priests. In verse 20 and 24, we come across a third instruction, which reflects a third gift of the Lord, and that is God gives himself. God gives himself, verse 20 to 24 of chapter 18. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in in their land, nor own any portion among them. I am your portion in your inheritance among the sons of Israel. To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meeting again, or they will bear sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance For the tithes of the son of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for inheritance. Therefore, I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. The key word here in this section is this word inheritance. In fact, it begins and ends with it. There's that phrase in, in verse 20 when it says, you shall have no inheritance to their land. And then verse 24 they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. Inheritance, of course, uh, I think we know what that is, but it's simply a possession that is passed on from one generation to another when the first generation goes, uh, passes on. With regard to Israel, though, this inheritance is primarily referring to the land, a land that God would give to the different tribes and different families within the tribes, and that land was meant to be passed on from one family to another. Even if they were had to sell the land, it, never, it wasn't really a true sale. It, it would have to be leased up to 50, 49 years. That's where the year of Jubilee comes around, when all that land would have to be returned to the original owners because it was an inheritance that God had given to the tribes of Israel. But God says to Aaron and to the Levites here, he says to Aaron in verse 20, he says to the Levites in verse 24, that they will have no inheritance in the land. They're not going to have any land of their own. They're not going to have any land that they can call their own. They're not going to have any portion among the sons of Israel. They're not going to be like the rest of the sons of Israel and have a place, a permanent place that they could pass on from one generation to another. But what they would have is much, much better. For God tells them, I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. Does that sound better? Would you rather have a plot of land in the, in the 
uh, in the, on the marina district of San Francisco? Or would you rather have the Lord? Hmm, marina district is not bad. I go jogging every day, go play some volleyball. Well, you know, but it doesn't compare. That's valuable. Maybe, you know, your real estate agent saying, well, yeah, I mean, that's not a good place. Pacific Heights then, okay, whatever. Uh, so, but the Lord as inheritance is so much better. God, instead of giving you land, I'm going to give you myself, says the Lord, who owns all the land, who owns all material possessions, who owns the world. Earlier, we'd already seen that God gives his offerings to the priests. And so we wonder, what about the Levites? How are, the Lord gives to them his tithes, as mentioned here. And we'll see this, we'll elaborate on this in the next point. But the North, nation of Israel was instructed to give a tenth of their produce, uh, sort of like a, a, ten, a 10%, sort of like a tax. It was kind of, you know, a 10% tax. They were to give it to the Lord, who was their king. And the Lord then, in turn, gave this tithe to his servants. The Levites as their inheritance. They would have no land inheritance, but they had the Lord. They would always have the Lord to provide for them. What a great encouragement to the priests and Levites. For though they had no land, they had the Lord. In our day, and like in those days, uh, owning property is a, is a key factor to actually to having financial stability. If you can own a property, that's a very good thing. Renting is, is okay, but you know, when you own property, you know, it's, it's just something that's more stable. And I'm telling you that not as a financial you know, expert or anything, so please talk to your realtor about that, and financial, et cetera. Many of us here, though, are homeowners or will be homeowners in our lifetime. And when you own a home, when you own property, when you own multiple properties, you will tend to feel secure in that. Uh, you'll tend to feel that... Even if you lose all that's in your bank account, you will have what's, uh, what's stored of your equity in your home that you can rely upon in those rainy days. That's a natural, it's a natural good financial planning, okay? But less, but we must be careful to find our security in our material possessions, in the things we own, the, the permanent things, those things that really can't be lost readily for this world. Our security is to be in the Lord himself. First Peter, we read in First Peter chapter 1, verse 4, of our inheritance, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Brothers and sisters, we have an inheritance, an inheritance of eternal life in the presence of God. And this is something that can never be taken away from you, and its inheritance should be and ought to be more important than any material possession, any material inheritance that we may receive on earth. An eternal relationship with God is a greater possession than anything we can gain in this life. You may have many earthly possessions, but the greatest question that you must ask before you leave this world is, do you have the Lord? Do you have the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Is he your inheritance? Do you have assurance that when you leave this world, when you die, if you die this week, you, if you're among the 60,000 that are going to die this week across America, do you have the assurance that the Lord is your inheritance? And it comes through faith in the one who came to live and die for us, Jesus Christ. Or perhaps another probing question for those of us that do have that assurance that he's our inheritance. You may possess the Lord as your inheritance, 
But are you finding security in, in, these, in earthly things instead? Things that are destined to perish, things that are destined to be lost when the end of life draws near. We must find our security, our sense of well-being, our sense of peace, not from the things of earth, not from the kingdom of this earth, but from the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's so easy to, to find our security in the things, because they're tangible, they're the things we can hold on to. But you can hold on to anything real tightly in this world, but you're not going to take it with you. It's not going to go with you when you die. Only that which you have and stored up in heaven, and that is through faith in Christ, the hope of the, this inheritance, can you is, that is what you will never lose. And though, and God is faithful to his promise to give you that inheritance. Your inheritance, as we read in First Peter, is protected by the power of God. Even when you sin, you still have that, that assurance of it, that inheritance. You cannot lose it for those who truly believe in him. Well, <clears throat> God gives himself. And what he give, when he gives to you himself, when he gives the, your inheritance, you cannot lose it. That's a great assurance. And he gives it through Jesus. Well, thir- fourthly and lastly, <clears throat> we arrive at verses 25-31, where we further, God gives further instruction about the tithes that he just mentioned in this section. And then we see that God gives his tithes. His tithes. Verse 25 to the end. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the sons of Israel the tithe which I have given you, from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. Your offering shall be reckoned to you as the grain from the threshing floor or the full produce from the wine vat. So you shall also present an offering to the Lord from your tithes, which you receive from the sons of Israel. And from it you shall give the Lord's offering to Aaron the priest. Out of all your gifts, you you shall present every offering due to the Lord. From all the best of them, the sacred part from them. You shall say to them, when you have offered from it the best of it, then the rest shall be reckoned to the Levites as the product of the threshing floor and as the product of the wine vat. You may eat it anywhere, you and your households, for it is your compensation in return for your service in the tent of meeting. You will bear no sin by reason of it when you have offered the best of it, but you shall not profane the sacred gifts of the sons of Israel, or you will die. Note, uh, first of all, the change in whom the Lord is speaking to. The Lord is speaking to, at this, up to this point, it's been Aaron. Now the Lord speaks to Moses. And we'll see in a little bit <clears throat> why this might be the case. Uh, but Moses here is given word to pass on, to leave it. So this is back to the normal kind of mode of communication. God tells Moses, and Moses then tells this to the Levites. He's going to speak to the Levites, in, in, particularly in contrast to the priests. And they... In God's instruction to Moses to the, to the Levites is this, that God says that when they receive the tithes, they, earlier they talked about a tithe, so of the tithe, that the 10% that Israel was to give uh, to the Lord, of that tithe, at the, that became the inheritance of the Israelites. They became theirs. But of that tithe, the Levites themselves, so whatever they received, whether it's uh, 
uh, <clears throat> um, uh, animals or whether it's received the grain or oil, they were then to give a tithe of it, a 10% of what they received back as an offering to the Lord, back as a tithe to the Lord. They are offered to the Lord a tithe of the tithe, that's verse 26 talks about. They were to do so just as the people did so. As a reminder, when the giving tithes is that not that God needs it. God doesn't need uh, our money. Just as we talk about offerings, God doesn't need it. But God, <clears throat> God has us to participate by giving. By, and when we give, it, it reminds us that all that we have is from the Lord. And that's where we're, just, we're recognizing that God's given to us. So we give back to the Lord just simply as a recognition of, and thankfulness of what we have received from the Lord. The Levites were to do the same. They were to give the tithe of their tithe of that they received from the Lord. Since they had no land and therefore no produce, they are to, to give a tithe from what they received. They are to give their tithe. Notice in verse 28, they're to give it to the Lord. In practice, though, even though it's given to the Lord, it's actually, in practice, given to Aaron the priest. From it, you shall give the Lord's offering. See, it's, this is the Lord's offering to Aaron the priest. So <clears throat> we don't want to miss that they're giving their tithe first to the Lord because it belongs to the Lord. But then is that Lord's tithe then that is given to the priests, to given to Aaron and his sons? And it's probably because of this, that <clears throat> why God doesn't tell Aaron, because it'd be, I guess, a sort of a conflict of interest, a little odd, unusual for Aaron to go to Levi and say, hey, Levites, when you, God wants you to give a tithe, a tithe of what you receive to me. And my sons. And, you know, I'm sure Aaron could have, Moses could have done it because he's a humble guy and all that. But Aaron, well, he's not said to be the same. So maybe uh, that would have been a conflict of interest. It would have been unusual. And so God tells Moses to communicate this problem, most likely. But there's a subtle but important point here about the focus that it's the Lord's tithes. And that, the fact that it goes to the Lord first and through the Lord to the priests is a reminder then that these Levites, do not work for the people, but they work primarily for the Lord. And the same principle continues on with all of God's servants. You know, we serve God's people, pastors. We serve this church. In a sense, by the state of California, we are employees of this church. We are employed by you. You're our boss. You could, or, well, the, uh, the leadership of this church is our boss. In, that, in a very practical, real-life kind of, you know, uh, earthly way. But in a biblical sense, uh, this church is not my boss. The elders of the church are not my boss. God is my boss. God is my, my, the one I answer to. I, I serve him. And, uh, and that's important for all ministers to understand. You, you must serve the Lord. You cannot serve uh, for, as a job or as an employment. You are doing because it it's a calling and, and, and a responsibility from God himself that we fulfill. And though offerings are, are given for our, our support, the offering that is always given to the Lord first, that's why it's given to the Lord, and then in turn given to us, to his servants. Another point to be made here is that the, the observed here is that the Levites were to give their best. They were to give their, not just 10%, they choose the, oh, they got, you know, all this grain, all this oil. They said, well, let me choose the, this, you know, this moldy one over here. I'm going to give that to the, to the parent. Or, oh, look at this sheep and this, oh, it looks kind of, or, well, uh, this, uh, this animal here. It looks kind of, I'm going to give this weak one to the animal. To, you know, they were not to do that. They were to give their best, even, 
right? The, the focus of giving the best uh, to the Lord. If the Levites failed to give their best, they would be, according to this passage, that guilty of sin. It's not enough just to give 10%, it's to give their best. And there's a principle there, even as we give, we are to give our best in our service to the Lord, and our offerings to the Lord. God deserves our very best. We may not think of it when it comes to money, which, well, what makes money better than, you know, the 90%, 10%. But when it comes to our service, we can think of it that way. We ought to give our best to the Lord. And certainly, I want to add that tithes are, are not required of New Testament saints. You, you don't have to give 10% to the Lord every week. Okay, I'm not telling you to do that at all. That's not a requirement. It's not, it, it, sometimes I suggest to people that it, that may be a good place to start if your, your, uh, your uh, finances allow for that. You can, and you can sacrificially give in that way, but you uh, still provide for your family. And that's, a good, that's not a bad place to start. But God calls us to give a free will offering, to give what's on your heart, to give grace, generously, give sacrificially, and give cheerfully. Whatever you're willing to do, uh, give cheerfully, generously, sacrificially, accordingly to what the Lord, in proportion to what the Lord has given you, do so to the glory of God. The practice of giving our earnings as an offering to the Lord is an appropriate response of lives that are, are already given to the Lord, Right? So let's give him our, our first, our first fruits, we call them, from our, what the Lord gives us, and let's give him our best. Most important, though, that this best is given to the priests. It's given to Aaron. And this, and this indicates the fear-stricken Israel of the critical role, again, of the priests. That even the Levites are to give a 10%, to give a tithe. And their tithe is to be presented to the priests. The offerings were given to the priests. The tithes of the Levites are given to the priests. Because the priests have a very critical role in the nation. It's God's answer to the nation. Are we all going to perish completely? No. Because I've given to you my priests. I've given to Aaron and his sons. And they have the obligation, the responsibility to bear your guilt before the Lord. Offering up sacrifices on your behalf. In God's further giving not only of the Levites, but of his, of his offering, of himself and his tithes to the priests and Levites, Israel is constantly reminded of, in, the, in the fulfillment of these instructions of God's provision for their salvation. And God makes much of the priests and Levites because of their role that they play in the nation. Israel does not have to fear God's wrath. They will, ne- they will no longer have to fear God's wrath because the Lord had given them the gift of the Levitical priests. Let me wrap it up with, a, with a, an, uh, in conclusion here. In Exodus chapter 28, I don't have the passage uh, for you to see, but Exodus 28, verse 36 to 38. Exodus 28 is a description of all the, the basically the, the clothes that Aaron the high priest is to wear, uh, that when he enters into the most holy place. And among the clothes that Aaron is to wear was a turban, something for his head, to be worn by Aaron as he fulfilled his duties. And on this turban, on the front of the turban, is a golden plate. A golden plate engraved with the phrase, Holy to the Lord. Yep, that's, uh, that God is saying that this this uh, this chosen priest, this Aaron, or one of his sons eventually, is holy to the Lord. 
Of course, whoever is wearing that turban is, is a sinner, right? No one's, no one, none of these men are righteous in themselves. None of them are perfect. None of them are without sin. Okay, all of them. But simply the fact that God has them wear this helmet, this, not helmet, but this turban, this particular clothing, and with this plate that says, holy to the Lord. Whenever Aaron would enter into the holy place, he did so as a representative of the people, bearing their guilt. There was, there's other elements of where he would have to offer sacrifice for himself, etc. But this was a reminder to him that he was chosen by the Lord, holy to God. He's the only one who is chosen by God, set apart, holy to the Lord, could be one who would allow to enter into the most holy place to offer sacrifices for the people of God once a year and for his own sins as well. Only because he's wearing these things by, and it's not, they're not magical in themselves, but it's by faith, we, we understand, by faith they're entering in, that the, the, that not only he could be accepted before the Lord, but that his offerings that he brings, that he bears uh, before the Lord for, on behalf of Israel, could be accepted by the Lord. And, you, and Aaron eventually, of course, becomes, who is the chief priest of Israel, and his sons who become chief priests are all, are all a type of Christ. They're a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest. We've talked about this occasion, on various occasions from Hebrews 7 through 10, uh, chapter 9 most recently. But all priests point to the ultimate priest, Jesus. And Jesus, though, does not need to wear a turban. He does not need to wear any garments. He does not need to have a sign on his forehead that says, Holy to the Lord. Because Jesus in Christ is the perfect Son of God, who is already holy to the Lord. He does not have to keep wearing, putting on a different garment. He doesn't have to keep entering the place, but he once and for all entered into the holy place and and into into heaven and offered up to him, to the Lord himself, when he died on the cross for our sins. You see, though we all deserve to perish, God gave us the final gift, the ultimate gift, the gift of his son, who came and offered his life on the cross to bear the punishment and guilt for of our sins. And whoever trusts in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is whom all these instructions to the priests and Levites point to. Jesus, the gift of God. And so, I pray, brothers and sisters, that you have received the gift of God that Jesus Christ is, is your Lord and Savior from sin and that you have placed your, your faith in him. Let me uh, just wrap it up with a couple questions just for us to think about, meditate upon uh, this week, uh, maybe have discussion in our small groups. Uh, first of all, the question is, do you fear God to the extent that it drives you to seek the Lord for salvation? Or has the fear of God driven you to seek the Lord for salvation? You know, there, you, you might even say you're a Christian, you might say you're a Christian, but that doesn't make you a Christian. The fear of God's wrath, the fear of God's judgment, understanding that God is something that should drive, is what is essential to driving you to recognize your need for a Savior. It doesn't mean that you're completely in dread like the Israelites, but there needs to be an understanding that you're a sinner that's under God's wrath. And therefore, there's nothing you can do, you're helpless. That's why you need to seek the Lord for salvation. 
Do you understand that? Is that something that, that you have believed and is that something that you've experienced in your life as a Christian? Or to, as in, your, in becoming a Christian? Because that's very important. I want to make sure that, you, that it's, it's not because you, oh, I just need a community. I, I needed a friend. I was just looking for peace, um, looking for some good morals. Those things may be uh, the, the felt needs that drive you to seek after Jesus, but as you come and, and you've, hopefully you heard here, understand what the scripture revealed, that it's because of your sin that you need Jesus. The things you feel may be a reflection of that sin, may be evident effects of sin in your life. Secondly, where is your security found? And we talked about the Lord is the inheritance of the, of the priests and the Levites. Thankful, and thankfully, he's our inheritance in Jesus Christ. Is our security found in our possessions? Do we find security in that? Or do we find security in the Lord himself? And you'll know you find security because when you go through trials, and I know some of you are going through trials, some of you go in the trials especially of loss, loss of life, Loss of finances, loss of, you know, maybe health. Things that you basically, you essentially can't get back. You're not going to get back. When you go through those painful losses, where do you find your security and peace? What are you turning to? Who are you turning to? You're looking to the things. I need another cup of coffee. I need to get drink some wine. I need to do some drugs. I, I, need, to, I need to just go, go, go travel. Your security is not in those things. I need the Lord. Lord, help me. Lord, my trust is in you. You are my strength and my salvation. You are my rock and my refuge. My security is in you, Lord. Is that where it is? Thirdly, how does your giving to the Lord reflect your understanding of God's gifts to you? We talked about a lot of giving and offering here. And I think and there's a, there's a, there's a parallel and it's bringing it forward, coming to the New Testament for us as givers. I mean, does our giving reflect the fact that our understanding of God and how much he's given to us. And hopefully that does. And uh, may, you, uh, may these more and thoughts be yours as you reflect, but most importantly, may we just rejoice in the fact that Christ, our great high priest, came. It fulfilled uh, all that the laws which the priests and Levites, uh, the law, those laws pointed to. And we have, and because of Jesus, we have the hope of being delivered from God's wrath. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for our time together in your word. Thank you for uh, thank you that, that we have this hope of, of, of an eternal life with you, uh, an eternal inheritance that has been stored up for us in heaven. It's imperishable. We can never lose it. We'll never, it will never be taken away from us through faith in your son and what your son has done for us. Thank you, Father, for your great gift to us of Jesus Christ, the one who is holy to the Lord, who came and offered himself once and for all for our sins. We thank you and praise you for Jesus. We continue to worship you throughout our week and give us open doors, opportunities to witness to our, to our loved ones, our friends and families of Christ. And we thank you, Father, uh, for your love towards us. And even on this particular day, we do thank you for our moms who, who oftentimes throughout our, have pointed us to your love towards us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.